This is Behind the DM Screen. It is May of 2022. We are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. I am Jeff Greiner. With me, as always, is Sam Dillon. Say hi, Sam. Hello. And with us, with increasing frequency, is Ismail Alvarez. Hello. How are we all doing? Not too shabby, as I like to say. All right, well... I'm gonna, uh, I get to start this time, so let me put 15 minutes on the clock and then proceed to ignore it. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so, um, with the kids, I, 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 if you've been paying attention, I guess, uh, I, I run two games every week. Uh, I run a game with my kids on Sunday afternoons. Um, we have a system in place wherein we're playing a... a a bunch of Torg right now, right? We're playing a Torg adventure, I guess, and it's like seven acts. So to avoid burnout, um, every time we finish one act, we we take a break for a week or two and, and play some other things that are just real short, you know, board games, card games, whatever. Um, we borrowed from a player in one of my in my adult game uh, a couple of boxes of something called Unlock. Are you familiar with Unlock? I've heard of it. Okay, so unlock. There's a whole. It's a whole series of these these boxes, and each box I think has usually like three scenarios in them, and it's just a deck of cards. And there might be a one or two props that goes along with each deck of cards, uh, but it's usually low on props. But the deck of cards sets this up. Is an R- like, this is an RPG product. No, no, no. Not this, a this is this is uh, this is basically an escape room. Game. Okay, so it's a like a puzzle product separate from like D and D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From our, okay, okay. So, so that's what we've been doing. We borrowed a couple of these boxes, and since they belong to a friend of mine, and we wanted to get him back to him, plus he's moving, uh, and we'll be leaving the group at some point in the next month or so. Uh, we wanted to make sure to to play through all the scenarios and get those back to him. Uh, and so we took actually a month off, and we haven't played any of our tour game um, for the last month because we've been playing all these unlocked scenarios. Uh, so, but, and, and it turns out those un- I mean, they're it's a lot of fun, right? Uh, I had previously done. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Neil Patrick Harris has a, a box called Box One, which is basically an escape room puzzle riddle thing. Um, where like every part of the box has clues in it, like you can take apart things and and uh, you know it looks like when you open it up, it looks like it's just well, there's a notepad and a deck of cards and a pen and that's it. And then you keep finding all these little hidden things all throughout it and and taking things apart and finding more things in it. And, and you know, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but box one is really cool. Um, it turns out unlock is like a a less elaborate version of the exact same thing and there's a bunch of them there's an app that goes with it and so sometimes the the clues will have you like pull other cards that give you know oh you you go to this room and you fi- go find look through the deck and find these three cards and these are the things that you find in there and then you can combine them or you can uh put the number on it into the app and it shows a puzzle and you can solve the puzzle or the riddle or whatever, right? Uh, we had a lot of fun with them. Uh, I, I think only of the six scenarios we played through, only once did we successfully finish in the allotted time. Um, 
but even when we didn't, we, we just kept playing uh, and went over time and had a good time figuring it all out and, and doing all these puzzles. So um, that's what we've done. And then we finished those up, and, and it was in the middle of a of a, an afternoon. It wasn't there wasn't enough time to really start playing, getting back into Torgan yet. Um, and so we started playing a game that I recently bought, but one of my players, one of my adult players, has had and that we've played called Ravine. Um, is anybody familiar with Ravine? I'm introducing you to all kinds of new fun card game things, right? So the the story of Ravine, it's it's also a cooperative uh, game, but the story of Ravine is uh, all the players were in a plane. The plane crashed in the middle of the wilderness, and you have to try to hang on until you're rescued. And how long that takes depends on the difficulty you want to you want to set, right? There's a series of cards called night cards, and a new event happens every night. Um, and you basically set your own difficulty by how many knights there are, and then you shuffle the rescue card into like the last three cards uh, of the deck, so you don't actually know exactly when the rescue is coming. Um, and then you slowly lose your hearts, and because you know at, at night it rains or wolves attack or whatever, right? Uh, all these things happen. You spend the days going out and foraging, trying to find food, regaining hearts and building shelters and doing all these things to protect yourself. Um, and it's slowly as you lose your hearts, eventually if you finish the night and have one heart left, you start going crazy and you pull madness cards. And the madness cards are are everything from like, hey, you you go crazy and your your friend over there looks really delicious uh, steal one of his hearts because you took a bite out of him, right? Um, but you gain a heart, he loses a heart because you, you got you got food. Or there was um, there was one that we got the, the other day where um, my youngest is like, okay, dad, we have to have a staring contest. And so we have a staring contest. And he blinks. And I'm like, oh, you blinked, it's over. No, we have to keep going. And we just keep going, and we keep going, and we keep going. And then the oldest who's sitting there sort of giggles and laughs because it was just going on so long. And it's like, oh, you lost. Because we didn't realize the madness uh, of that was have a staring contest. The first person at the table who laughs loses a heart, <laughs> right? Um, so it's, it's, it's crazy, weird things like that, right? Um, my oldest pulled a madness card the other day where he had to name one of his biggest fears – and that's the only word he can say. So for the rest of the game, he just sat there and said the word heights, heights, heights over and over again. And no, nobody else has any idea what's going on, right? Um, it's, it's fun little things like that. And so you do that until hopefully you can survive long enough, uh, build the supplies you need, forage for the food you need, etc. And you survive until the rescue comes. It's a fun game. Uh, I, I recommend it. I played it like two or three times with my adult group. Uh, I really liked it, um, and so uh, a couple weeks ago, I just went out and bought it. So apparently, there's an expansion for it as well. But I figured if I buy the expansion, my kids will insist on using the expansion, even though they haven't played the core game yet. So let's just own the core game for a while. Maybe we can add the expansion later. Um, so that's what I've been doing with the kids. For the adults, I'll spend the bulk of my time with them. We are are deep into chapter one of Descent into Avernus. I think last time we chatted, I had only just done the intro. Um, I'd done like the first, the character builder building session, and um, I did my flashback time travel sort of intro with it that generally went pretty well. Um, although some things came out with that 
you know, that were bothering some players from previous games. Um, since then, we we've been we've continued to do a lot of Baldur's Gate stuff, right? The the way the adventure is written, Baldur's Gate is basically like that whole chapter is basically like four locations, right? You go to the Elf Song Tavern, there's an attack. You go to the Dungeon of the Dead 3, you go to the Low Lantern, you go to the, the Van Thamper Villa, and then you're out of Baldur's Gate and you head off to Candlekeep, right? And that's that's the entire chapter. But then they have this entire gazetteer of locations and NPCs and organizations and all this other stuff going on in Baldur's Gate. And it's like, well, clearly, the, they don't ever say it, but clearly the idea is that you're doing all this other stuff, right? You're you're in you're interacting with the the city. You're you're doing all these other things. Like they they have this whole like dark secret thing that they do in Descent into Avernus, um, but then don't give a lot of guidance as to how that should play out, right? Uh, with my players, the dark secret is that they murdered the baker Ellen Harbreys. Um, and the consequence of it is um, they, they actually liked two of the consequences, so they chose they chose to have two consequences. One of them was um, you've made an enemy of the guild, right? Which is like the big organized crime thieves guild uh, in the city. And the other one that they chose was, and she didn't stay dead, right? She came back and she wants revenge. Uh, and so I decided, well, secretly, she was one of, like, the underbosses of the, the guild. And so you killed her, and so the guild, you know, wants their revenge or what have you. Um, and then I decided, oh, and, and she came back as a revenant, which means that you can encounter her over and over and over again. She keeps coming back 24 hours later in, an, in a new corpse that she's inhabited. Um and so then they had so so I've been incorporating I'm like how do you have a dark secret like that but not include any like guidance as to how to integrate that but obviously you have to integrate that right you can't just say you've made an enemy of the guild and then like okay let's hit these four locations and get out of town right uh, you know I, and I worked hard to to have the characters have all these these story threads and and things that connect to sort of the themes of the adventure uh, and so you know. I can't just do all of that and then only bring it up when they get to hell. That would be weird. All of these people from your back background have apparently died or are plane traveling. Uh, and when they died, they went to hell, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't interact with them at all. So I, this is the time to bring all that out, right? I'm bringing – so the, the, the guild like showed up in one of their, their rooms in the middle of the night one night, woke them up. And it's like, hey, so uh, you didn't know it, but you killed one of our underbosses. So you owe us, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's it's very expensive to bring somebody back from the dead. So let's start with 5,000 gold pieces. <laughs> Note that the person did not say, we brought this person back from the dead, and it was very expensive. They said, you know, it's very expensive to bring somebody back from the dead. You owe us 5,000 gold pieces. <laughs> uh, and we want a favor. You know, we would just kill you to make an example of you, but you didn't know what you were doing. So we're going to give you this opportunity to pay us pay us off. Uh, the favor we want is we want you to kill Captain Zodge, who is the person in the Flaming Fist, the, the mercenary band that is law enforcement in Baldur's Gate, that has hired you. So we want you to go kill your boss, <laughs> right? And pay us this money. Um, so th that played out. Well, that's, that has been playing out. Um, one of the things I did is they, they went, they've gotten through the, the pirate attack in the, the Elf Song Tavern that's really just kind of a throwaway, uh, but it gets them to level two or whatever um and then um they went to the dungeon of the dead three um 
and, and that all went fairly well. I mean, it was a three and a half, four session <laughs> to go through a dungeon. Um, and it's not a huge dungeon, but it's fine. It takes a while, and they, they, they get some nice role-playing moments in there, and I threw in some some weird lore stuff that, that may or may not matter in the future. Um, but when the as written, when you come out of the Dungeon of the Dead 3, you've collected all this treasure, treasure that the Dead 3 cult was using um, to, to fund their operations or whatever. But it had this weird, like, dragon motif on everything. And you get outside of the, the dungeon, and the, the cult of the dragon is there saying, hey, so that's our treasure. It was stolen from our queen, uh, and we want it back. Right, and so then you can either like give them the treasure or fight this these members of the the cult of the dragon. Um, I put a couple twists on that encounter because it's it's a fun little twisty encounter. Like, hey, you made it out of, out of this really tough dungeon. You've got all this treasure. Oh, and now somebody wants the treasure, and you probably haven't long rested because you thought you were done with the dungeon, right? Who long rests on their way out of the dungeon, right? Um, so so. The two twists I added, so we have one character who is a, a dragonborn cleric of Bahamut. And as part of his character creation, it was decided that he has a brother who's sort of a longtime rival of his who is a cleric of Tiamat. Right? Uh, and, and of course, cleric of Tiamat, cult of the dragon, guess who's there? Uh, when the cult of the dragon shows up and demands the treasure, right? Um, the dragonborn's brother is there uh, along with them demanding the treasure. Uh, and then just as they're sort of getting ready to roll initiative uh, against these cultists, um, I had members of the guild pop up, uh, basically saying, hey, we were told by the boss that you can just go ahead and give us that treasure and we'll, and we'll call the financial things that you owe us even, right? You won't owe us the 5,000 gold pieces anymore. We'll take that treasure. And the cult of the dragon's like, uh, that's ours. That's not okay, right? Uh, and ultimately, faced with that, with basically a, a, a three-way fight, um, that's when the players are like, you know what? We're just going to go ahead and set these chests down. Looks, looks to the guild, says, we're, we're clear financially, and we're going to walk away. <laughs> and so, they, <laughs> and so they, they decided not to, to play out that fight and just give up the treasure um, in order to not get in the middle of a fight between two, pe- two organizations, which would then garner them two long-lasting problematic enemies for them to have to deal with. I anticipate the, the Cult of the Dragon, or at least Tiamat, continuing to be a thing because Tiamat in Avernus continues to be a thing. The guild is only a short-term problem. Once you leave Avernus, they're you know they're not going to follow you around and, and go to hell to, to chase after you. Um, the other piece that I did was so I, I integrated the dark secret. I, I told you because of the guild stuff, but then also they chose the other consequence of oh yeah, and Ellen's not dead anymore, uh, and so I decided she's a revenant. Well, I've got a character who's... Uh, one of the players has a character who is one of the patriarchs, one of the nobles of Baldur's Gate, or from the from a noble family, but kind of like, you know, the youngest of the children, not, not set to inherit anything, decided to go off and join the Flaming Fist because, you know, I'm not going anywhere in the, in the noble family, whatever. Um, and so he gets a message, oh, dad wants to see you. Okay, well, fine. They they finally decide after a couple of sessions of just ignoring Dad. They he's finally decided. Okay, fine. I'm going to go f- see what Dad wants, and he. And, but I'm going to bring everybody else with me just in case. 
brings everybody else with him, which is exactly what Dad wants. Turns out, um, I pulled uh, several encounters to... So I'm, I'm infusing Evan Tears, um, um Descent into Avernus bundle, complete DMs bundle, um, uh, into, and so there's a bunch of other encounters in there that I'm, I'm infusing into it. I'm using... So there's a few extra enca- encounters that come with the Beetle and Grimm platinum box that I've infused in. Um, and then there's also... Um, I got a product called Deeper Descent into Avernus, where they've got a, a bunch of extra sort of encounters you can use. And so, one, and one of those, one of the things they're trying to do with the, in the Deeper Descent is to make the Dead Three more of a thing, because like they're a really big deal in Chapter One, and then just like never come up again. Which is weird because Ball is one of the Dead Three, and Ball's holy symbol is on the cover of the book, and Ball plays like no role in most of the story, <laughs> right? Um, so anyway. Dad's been mixed up through one of these encounters where these nobles are having these parties, but it's actually secretly meetings of the of, of the cult, right? And Dad's gotten mixed up in the in these these parties slash cultist activities, whatever. That's actually the secret that they murdered the the baker to hide, um, and so Dad's sort of caught up in all of this, right? Dad invites um, the party while well, invites. The, the one ki- the kid anyway to come visit and the party comes along and he's like okay well can you all wait in the study I need to talk to my son alone and they take him off to the to the to his office or whatever down the hall um, knowing that that was the entire point that he had been approached by Ellen the the revenant who wants revenge to try to and to, and to set them up and ambush them um, and the the arrangement was that the dad was like okay fine but my son is out of it so I'm going to pull him aside, and that's when you attack. And so we had this little fight in in the study of a patriarch's manor with a, a revenant, and it took them forever to figure out how to actually like take the thing out because it has it has one of those regenerations that doesn't stop until it's hit with radiant or fire, um, and it continues regenerating even after they fall to zero hit points. Um, so they're like, okay, we 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 finally got her. She's down. And then the next round, she she pops back up and, and starts clawing at the one character over and over again because that's the one who actually did the murder. Um, and, and so eventually they're like, set her on fire. Okay, good. Now she's gone. We finally beat her. Except she's a revenant, so she's coming back in 24 hours. They don't know that yet. <laughs> so, um, so, so that's – yeah. So I'm, I'm integrating all of those things. I've um, – I've got all these other sort of personal stories. Uh, I've got—I told you the Dragonborn brother. I've got a monk character from Kalimshan who's also got an organized crime brother down there, um, and I'm bringing in a bunch of stuff with him. Um, one of the characters has a sword that I've decided is actually the sword of Kaz from Kaz and Vecna fame, right? And that it's actually Vec- uh, Kaz that's trapped in the companion above Elturel, not uh, an angel, as written. Um, and so then Kaz will be sort of the, the um, I'm going to use the Tasha's rules and make Kaz their sort of, uh, uh, what is it? What's the thing from Tasha's where you can have the, the person who helps give you the fe- the quest giver sort of person? Patron? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Kaz is, they don't know it's Kaz, but they, they just know it as somebody who, who calls themselves the betrayed. Because, of course, Kaz, the betrayer, know, thinks of himself as the betrayed, not the betrayer, right? Um and so Kaz is, is their patron. Um, 
and, and it is guiding them and helping them because he wants to be free, which is also part of the end game of the adventures, is opening the companion, which would then allow him to go off and hunt down Arkin with the hand of Vecna and 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 otherwise wreak havoc on, on Vecna's world. Um, I did have one... I had a, questions about a bunch of things. I'm think, So I, I still start all of my sessions with an opening question. I think it's been a really great way in the last year or two that I've been doing it to, to re- start a session uh, and also how to deal with inspiration. Basically, everybody, I open with an opening question. Everybody answers the opening question or has a little role-playing scene sometimes or whatever and then everybody starts the game with inspiration. I don't have to worry about remembering to give it later. Um, and that's worked really well. But I was thinking for the next session's opening question, I was going to give each of them a little role-playing moment. And one of the role-playing moments I'm I'm not sure about, because the, the player has a particular vision of who his character is that has seemed fairly firm when I've tried to work with them on, on making things fit into the campaign and whatever. Um, but he's, he's, I mean, he's an orphan. He doesn't know who his dad is. He's been sent off to Baldur's Gate. He's a monk, and he's doing Monk of the Long Death, so he's gaining all these supernatural powers and stuff. Um, and so I was thinking, boy, wouldn't it be interesting if it turned out that Dad was actually Ball, and he's one of the Ball Spawn, um, which would then make the the Dead Three thing even more important, and can you know be allow me to continue to bring that up and make it a thing. Um, throughout the rest of the campaign, I wouldn't. I wouldn't give him any additional abilities for it, um, other than that. This will be an explanation as to how you're doing these crazy monk things, despite the fact that you were not necessarily trained as a martial artist. You know, um, and I was thinking that his thing could be adopted. Mom shows up and just sort of spills the beans on the whole thing. Uh, you know, your brother sent you here, exiled you from Kalimshan because he's afraid. He knows that one of you is the ball, is a ball spawn. He got a divination or whatever. Um, and so he sent you here because he was worried that it was you and he didn't want to have to live in your shadow because he's the big organized crime guy. He doesn't need anybody, you know, whatever. Um, I'm a little worried that that's too big of beans to spill in in an intro scenario and I didn't know if anybody had any other thought. I mean, I have other big things that I was going to do with the other characters as well, so I don't think it would be the scope would necessarily be out of line and there's, you know I don't know, my, my fear is that like it's session 7 or 8 and this is these are big beans to spill especially when I haven't really gauged how it's going to be received yet um, you know, so I didn't know if people had thoughts um, just initially, I would think that given that it's a lot of things, you can kind of parcel it out uh, almost literally by maybe having him receive a letter that says, hey, um, I have information of where your family's whereabouts are. Or maybe it's like, uh, I'm your mom. I need to talk to you. Um, you know, just that very idea of like, wait, you don't know what your parentage is but you're getting these clues mm-hmm. and maybe it's just a magical message that comes in every couple sessions or something where these things are unraveled uh, as opposed to like one big reveal right. where it's like everything all at once. Well, and, and I, I mean, if I set it up as there was a divination, it's either you or your brother, it's still possible. It's not him. So if he like, as a player balks at the idea, I have an out, you know, <laughs> but mm-hmm. Sam, did you have any thoughts? I mean, 
not really. <laughs> it's <laughs> See, a tough one. I mean, well, and part of the issue is that like I always, I always find that my instinct to parcel things out and to to make it a slow burn and a big reveal at some point, almost always is the wrong call. Like it's it almost is always better to like let's let's make the big exciting thing big and exciting and just do it. You there's plenty of opportunity to come up with new big and exciting things to to do or add later, right? Um, yeah. I mean, when there's a slow burn, you know, it, it sometimes is not as satisfying seeming, but mm-hmm. partly that's because it's just a long time coming, right? And, I mean, the thing that sucks is if the player doesn't like it, right? Right. Um, that's my but, worry. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're probably doing it right. I mean, I, I feel like that's why I kind of don't I – don't, I don't really have, like – because – you don't know if the player is going to, you know, if, if your players are going to be like, what, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, all, all you can do in that case is keep doing what you're doing and kind of stick with your plan and go with the flow and make, you know, make it make sense. And then when the slow burn reveal happens, then it happens and hopefully it'll be satisfying. I mean, I don't know, I, I personally like that kind of slow burn. Like I like the oh the revenant's coming back and oh there's a secret somebody right, has. Right. You know, we don't we don't know exactly what's going on and oh now there's you know it sounds like your game is really fun and there's like these different issues that are happening that mm-hmm. are really interesting, you know. Cause it feels like the way the way you describe it, it feels like you're involving the PCs in everything that's going on. And they're intimately involved, even if they don't realize it yet, right? right? They they definitely are like the impetus for what's happening. So it's got to be at least a little bit satisfying, even if they don't quite understand exactly what's happening. It will mm. be at least a little satisfying. Okay. All right. Well, I am uh, well past my time, as is oftentimes the case. <laughs> so let me pull the timer back up as we get ready for somebody else. And I will, in the meantime, remind folks that if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Um, and from there, you can, you know, a dollar a month or whatever, you can you can give us a little support, and that helps pay the bills. And, um, you know, occasionally if I need to buy somebody some new equipment or, or what have you, that that's that's what, where that comes from. Plus, uh, you know, if uh, I, I'd like to chat over there every now and then, I'll... Um, I've, I've, the thing I've been trying lately is when Watsy sends me review copies of stuff, they usually send it uh, several days before it actually comes out. And so then I'll hop on the Patreon and be like, hey, I've got the new book that's not out for another five days. What do you want to know? I'll look it up right now. And, then, and that actually helps me because then they ask questions and I look stuff up and suddenly I'm more knowledgeable when it comes time to actually do the review. So, so uh, Ismail... You've got 15 minutes on the clock to ignore. Go ahead. All right. Um, so y'all know that I've got eight games a week, although one of them is uh, starting to wind down, and I'll, I'll start with that. But I won't talk about all of them. I'll just give a brief overview of where I'm at and how everything is going. I can't quite remember how much things have changed since last time, but I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, so Mondays and Tuesdays, I do a school game. I count that as one game, although not everyone would. Um, and the kids so, are so kind you, of... So you actually have nine games a week if you count that as two. Yeah, okay. I mean, but that's the one that's going away, so now we're back, back down to seven, and it gets into some really fuzzy math. But <laughs> um, 
we're winding down because a lot of the kiddos who are involved are getting senioritis in a very literal way for some of them. And it just isn't working. Kids have things to do. And so uh, I, there's really not a game to run. Uh, and we've got about two weeks left before kids graduate and people are out for the summer. So my plan is to run one last game to be like the end cap, the kind of it, it's not a, it's not exactly the end of the campaign in a way that's satisfying, but it's going to be like a big boss battle with kind of like one of those TV show cliffhangers where it's like, well, it's kind of an ending, but also it's not. Um, and that was the game that was born out of a uh, Lost Minds that kind of segued into an out of the abyss and it was kind of a, a little wobbly because of how things were going and sometimes some some weeks we'd play some weeks we wouldn't and so it's been this roller coaster but looking forward to finishing that one uh i'm going to talk at length or try to about my 40k game uh but it's uh warhammer 40,000 uh wrath and glory uh the relatively recent uh rpg that does all of the space War- warhammer stuff uh, really super happy about that. I don't think I've been this excited for uh, running a game in a while, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Wednesdays, I have a one-on-one game with my girlfriend where uh, I've been doing like a Mistara game uh, and going back into a lot of the uh, kind of Mistara things. It's in it's set in um, Karamekos. And just going into like that deep old D&D lore has been a lot of fun and just trying to play it. I wouldn't say like OSR old school, but a little older school than usual. Um, Are you running that in Five E? Yes, but just, but an old school setting. Yes. Okay. Um, all, everything except the forty k game is Five E. I should say. Um, so the forty k game is Tuesdays. The Mistar game is Wednesdays. Thursdays, I've got one of my big games where I've been running Palladium Fantasy setting with uh, 5e rules and incorporating a Paizo uh, adventure path. And we just had, last week, our uh, boss battle. So it was this big, huge boss battle. Um, I almost wish I could share the, the screen cap I did of like the last battle map or whatever. Uh, I, might, I might be posting that on twi- Twitter later. But um, with all of that being said and done... Uh, we ended it like basically for some people who were on the East Coast, it was midnight and they were like, okay, I'd love to keep going, but we can't. And it was right when the boss battle ended. So everyone said, well, we can't play next week, that being this week. Uh, so in two weeks, let's come back and do an epilogue. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds fantastic because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, so we're still going to do an epilogue for that game. Um, and uh, also I have a lot to talk about for that but we'll come back to that in a minute i'm just going through everything uh <laughs> friday friday um we are then uh we have a like a game with some former students uh at an old job that i had we finished this like basically four year long campaign of just this hodgepodge craziness we did a little bit of curse of Strahd, a little bit of um descent into avernus uh, I threw in just some like Conan uh, hyper Borean stuff in there just for fun. Uh, but more recently, we finally started the new game that we were going to do, which is um, what is it? Uh, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight. So I've been running that, and it's a lot of fun. And I've been having um, a really fun time just kind of incorporating just like the the fairy taleness of it. Um, so that's been a lot of fun and just making things like a little zanier, a little sillier. Uh, and the the group of students are, are really there for it. I think it kind of like uh, 
uh, is keen to their sensibilities. Saturdays, I do what used to be an Adventures League game in an actual shop, so it's like a face-to-face game. Uh, and I've started doing Tyranny of Dragons, and I'm determined to change enough about Tyranny of Dragons to make it uh, fun and not feel like a trudge, uh, like the times that I've played it. Um, and that might that your mileage may vary, but I've been having a lot of fun running it, and I've been changing things wholesale. I'm now completely off the rails. The group went to Neverwinter and has been doing like all of these kind of skullduggery, thieves guild kind of stuff, and so I'm having a lot of fun with that. Uh, and then finally, I'm doing a game every other week on Sundays, which is back to Palladium Fantasy, back to, of course, doing 5th edition and incorporating yet another adventure path. And that's my week. Um, <laughs> so, um, 15 that, minutes is up. We're so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so you have 15 minutes and you spend six I of mean, it just recapping. Uh, at least I got my say in. But... The two, the two big things I want to talk about is my 40k game. I've had a lot of fun uh, because it's it's confined to a galaxy where like a lot of these games can be massive. Like they can go like from one end to the, of the Milky Way to the other and all kinds of crazy stuff can happen. But it's just a solar system. Um, and I've been having a tremendous amount of fun writing notes. I do that on Mondays on Twitch. Um I've been like making a rogues gallery of NPCs and all kinds of people, people they haven't met yet, but could uh, people who matter in the background that they might kind of learn about at some point. Um, they've been accumulating a steady group of, of just like the helper NPCs. But um, I have so much information that I've been writing for this campaign. And it's just it, like, for whatever reason, my creative juices have been flowing so much that I, I need to start containing what I'm writing uh, in a way that makes sense. And I've been recently talking about, do I need to get back into Obsidian Portal? Uh, do I need to do uh, World Forge? Is that the one? Oh, World Anvil? I'm trying to remember the name of the site. Um, Anvil World? I can't remember. Or The only uh, other one I used was Epic Words, but that's a different sort of platform. Yeah, no, I know. And I don't know if it exists anymore. I know World Anvil. I know what you're that's talking the about. One. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I think Notion might do the same thing. And then there's just Microsoft Notebook. So there's all these different things that I could potentially use to keep my notes in order. Because right now it's just like a giant gob of text. And I think I'm at a point where it's untenable to my needs because I'll go back into my notes and be like, scroll, scroll, scroll. Okay, there's that one thing that I, I was looking for. Um, and that hasn't happened in a long time. And I'm actually excited about it. But also I need a solution for this like giant jumble of information um it's also a podcast which is really neat and so i've been steadily putting out um episodes of the 40k podcast um and you know it's it's just a little tiny blip but it's it's a really fun tiny blip of of a podcast that i've been releasing and i've been having a lot of fun and and hopefully uh the people who listen to it will like not balk at the idea that I'm like not doing things as the way they're supposed to be because 40k fans are famously very uh, stodgy about the way that uh, their their um, stuff is approached. Can you tell us the name of that podcast so people can find it if they want uh, to? Yes. Yeah. In fact, I'll even put it in the uh, meant to capitalize both words, but it is called uh, Dead Hope. So it's like Warhammer 40k Dead Hope, uh, and it's like on most of the podcast stuff. I think it's like on Audible and um, uh, like the Apple podcast and um, even on 
oh, what's the what's the music streaming thing? It's not Pandora, but Spotify. Uh, Spotify. But anyways, yeah, um, I've been having a ton of fun. I I started with eight players. It's now down to six. But um, it's a, it's been a ton of fun. I've been um, enjoying the Wrath and Glory system, which I, I, I may have mentioned I actually playtested for way back in the day. Uh, and it's like very much like uh, World of Darkness, but with D6s instead of D10s. And kind of one of the fun conceits is that one of the D6s you always roll is a Wrath dice. And if it's a 6, it's a critical. If it's a 1, it's a failure or, or some kind of complication. And that tends to spice things up considerably. Um, any any questions about that? I I, I I know this is like I feel bad talking about a forty k RPG when we're like a D and D podcast. But what are the what are the um, target numbers if you're rolling if you're rolling d sixes? Like like I, I get what you're saying. It's like World of Darkness, but with sixes instead of tens. So you've got the exploding dice thing, right? Where you want to get above a certain number, and then those dice do they add on or what happens? Uh, so, like, let's just say you roll six dice, and one of them is the... It's not an exploding dice, but, it like, it, it makes everything else kind of more important. Okay. Um, fours and fives are one success each. Okay. And then a six is two successes. And when you get, like, it's called an exalted icon. I don't know why. That's just what they call it. But you can start shifting them to do other effects. So, for instance, if you're picking a lock and you've got a bunch of sixes, you can start moving some of those over to, like, for instance have the time it would take or to do it more quietly so that you don't alert the people on the other side and so on. But the wrath dice is like, if you're attacking someone and the wrath dice comes up as a six, you might like blow a hole in their lung and suddenly they're just, you know, they're unable to breathe or uh, all kinds of crazy things. And it's, <laughs> it, uh, so like, so what's your, so the skill or the attribute determines how many dice you roll. Is that the mm -hmm. deal? Yeah, and you'll have, like, just for instance, a strength score and an athletic score, and you can pay into each of them independently, and they'll add together for the roll. Okay. And so you'll, like, if you have a four and a four, you'll roll eight. But one of those eight is the wrath dice. Uh, and that will then, like, again, either it'll be a critical hit and something really awful will happen to the other guy, or it'll be, like, a complication and maybe you'll, like bring down a chandelier or like, you know, knock over a bookshelf or something. Right. And so what determines the target number, the task itself? Uh, yeah. So okay. like you, the, it's always fours and fives is one success. Six. Right. Right. Two. But, but like, uh, how, how do I know how many, how, how many successes I need? Yeah. I guess. The and then in combat, like you have to have to hit their defense. So if they have a defense of four, you have to at least get four sure. successes. Okay. Um, if something's like really easy, you might need one success or if it's like super duper hard, you might need five and so on. Um, and it almost seems like it would be like making it that just like half of every dice is going to be a success or better would make it really good. But like you, you would be shocked by how often people fail and how often people go uh, in a bad direction. Or if they get like 10 successes on something, but that wrath dice comes up as one, then sure they succeed in a big way, but they also complicate that success in a big way. So uh, it's like, I always like to say that the dice tell a story and like that, that helps you tell an even, I want to say an even better story because the successes and, and complications end up going like in wildly different directions. Are we being visited um, by a puppy? That, that dog in the background. I'm so sorry. Is that, story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 
I'm on like the the bottom level of an apartment building, and we're like kind of in de- like so everything outside is just <laughs> sidewalk. Anyway, I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, then like I know I don't have a lot of time left, but I'm gonna try and use it wisely, or at least uh, try not to go too over. Uh, so our Thursday game, as I mentioned, was the Palladium Fantasy that is an adventure path and also using 5th edition rules. Uh, and we just had our big boss battle. Um, that was a lot of fun. And um, I, I had just a tremendous time with like the characters. It was it was like an ideal campaign. We, we started halfway into COVID um, and uh, just a phenomenal group of people. And it's been about a year since we started, maybe a year and change. And so I feel like I encapsulated everything I wanted to in that year. Um, and one thing that I really wanted to talk about, like I think I've talked about that, that game enough, but the interesting part is now choosing a new campaign and kind of going into a new one. And I've had a lot of, um, I've had to do that a lot in the last six months or so. And I'm learning a lot about how to how to help people pick a good campaign, about how to present um, like maybe the, the best options. Uh, and one of my... Um, failures in doing so i would say and that's something i would do differently next time is not giving as many options uh because i i I will do like a google form and i'll say hey here are four different games uh and here's two questions give me your first option and your second option and when all the results come back i'll get this pie graph uh that basically tells me nothing it's just (laughs) everybody choosing every other different thing there's not one clear winner there's not like a landslide. Everything is just split down some kind of like a, you know, 33, 33, 33 split. Uh, and so I need to do better about just maybe picking two and having that be so that there's going to be something decisive when people choose. Uh, but also maybe not what, what I've done in the past is I say, OK, here's a very specific campaign um, kind of prompt. Uh, which might be like, we're going to do Curse of Strahd, or we're going to do this game that is set in the northern wilderness area with like witches and giants. Um, and I think that maybe that tweaks the results a little bit where um, the things that people gravitate towards are those specific ideas, whereas maybe I just need to do a more uh, kind of like, okay, this is a winter campaign in a winter area. This is a spooky campaign in a spooky area, and then that way people have maybe less expectations about what each of them means and, and fewer kind of hang-ups. Because even even in other instances where I've given options, uh, I'll give an option that I'm really excited about, and then someone's like, well, I don't know about that, and it just seems like maybe it's not what I wanted. Um, and I'd, like I think people just get caught up on those details where... Um, I would say, like, you know, if you move past the details, like, I have every inclination that this is going to be, like, a really awesome campaign, but they don't they don't see past that, like, that little uh, elevator pitch. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, I don't I don't know what the detail is on your elevator pitch, um, but, you know, the the like one page intro thing that, you know, like Wizards started doing it with, like, here's five things you need to know about this adventure or this setting or whatever. And then I think Mike uh, put together, started doing the same thing with like campaigns. Here's a one pager sort of primer on sort of the themes and the setting and what, you know, and what have you for the, for a campaign. Um, I wonder if it wouldn't be worth the time to put together like a one pager like that. You know, mm-hmm. hey, we're in this setting. 
these are the like classes and races. Here's the weird things that make this setting different. Here's the kind of themes that I expect in this campaign, uh, in this story, you know, and then they could have a little bit more details, but maybe just put together like two of those. Here's a couple yeah. of different ways we could go, right? But you've got a little more detail than just sort of like a one paragraph abstract, um, you know, to, to really make your choices from. Yeah, and I definitely need to be way better about doing something that's, because I feel like there's this like weird middle area of the paragraph where it's like the paragraph just holds enough information to make someone kind of like either wrinkle their nose at something or really want it. Um, and not really anything in between, but, um, yeah, that sounds fantastic. I think I'm going to have to start kind of leaning more in that direction. And it's, I'm I'm starting to think about that a little bit, although I'm in the, you know, I'm at the beginning of descent into Avernus and I've been planning this adventure, this campaign in my head for two years now. So, um, I don't anticipate it'll be very soon before we, we, conclude Descent into Avernus. I think it'll probably be at least a good year, year and a half before we're done. Uh, and I already know what the next campaign is because <laughs> they really like, when we play tested Wild Beyond the Witchlight, it was like the best session of, of D&D that we've played together as a group. So they were like super excited to get back into that and I bought the Platinum Edition. Uh, so I think that'll definitely be the next one. But I'm already starting to think, yeah, but then I have all these other games. Right? I, you know, I have all this Midgard stuff. I have Primeval Thule. If you want to go back to the beginning of of Five E, uh, you know, I've got all these. I've got all these different campaigns and settings and adventures and whatever. Like, I could do a bunch of cool stuff. Um, what are we going to do next? I don't know, <laughs> but I know what I'm doing probably for the next like two, two and a half years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the other thing is when you do, even if you do like a one page thing to give them a little bit more detail, you can also do like a one sentence like point of reference like i i envision this as like harry potter mashed up with the magnificent seven but with animal anthropomorphic animal pcs right like i mean i'm not saying that you should run that but i'm just like right. that's like one sentence right like i'm totally just making something up but that's like one sentence that i don't know you kind of just described this the strixhaven campaign. okay but so but but, but but it kind of just it's one sentence that gives them like if somebody says oh you know I don't really like Harry Potter like I don't want that kind of, like that immediately but then you've got an, the rest of the page to sort of give more detail or if you say something like okay this is like post apocalyptic Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome meets you know Escape from New York meets you know zombie apocalypse right. And, and and that's a very different feel than, you know, this is, you know, teenagers at a school fighting, you know, you know, old man Smith who you have to rip the, the mask off of every week, right? Like Scooby-Doo, right? So, like, those sorts of, um, like, touchstones, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like, or maybe don't put it at the top of the page, but at the bottom, after everything, you could say, you know, you could think of this as this is going to be Scooby-Doo meets Columbo mm-hmm. meets, you know, real FBI agents or Cthulhu or whatever, right? Um, but in, in D&D or whatever. And so that they have so, sort of a one line, because I think both are good. I think the, like the, the one paragraph kind of pitch is good and the one page pitch is even better maybe. But then there's just the one sentence thing where they kind of get, it kind of gets their juices mm-hmm. flowing, right? And that might actually, because then it lets their imagination kind of run on them. And if they like the combination or the weirdness of it, they might actually end up wanting to play that more than maybe they mm-hmm. thought with a with a paragraph of sort of serious description, right? 
So I, wonder, I don't know. I, I wonder if what I would do maybe is here are five one sentence descriptions. You guys narrow it down to two, and then I'll do a page on those two, and you can pick one. You know. Yeah. Because you're not wrong, Sam. But at the same time, like you're not wrong. Those are evocative and those really get to like themes and and can help a lot. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, I could definitely see players being like, well, my vision of what you described in this one sentence is not the same as yours. And if I had known, Mm -hmm. then I wouldn't have picked it. That's why I said the page page is great. Like that's, you know, because that's kind of the stopgap where, oh, wait, this isn't what I envisioned when you said that. So maybe I don't want that one. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I totally understand. Yeah, exactly. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say is that we did end up picking Eberron for the Thursday game. And I'm super excited. I ran a very successful Eberron game about two years ago now. Um, and what I've been enjoying doing is like when I revisit settings, I let the things that have happened in previous campaigns be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm really excited to like take what I did last time, move it ahead a few years, and then just kind of run wild with that. So I've got a lot of really cool ideas for that. Uh, I was writing some notes for it just yesterday, and actually, I was like, it was like a pun fully intended, like a running runaway lightning rail, uh, because I couldn't stop thinking of ideas and just uh, integrating the older stuff into the newer stuff, and being excited about how they're going to react to it and the things that they're going to enjoy about it. Awesome. Well, and that's. I look forward to hearing more about that next time Mike can't make it or goes on vacation. <laughs> so. Or Sam or I uh, disappear. <laughs> you are our go-to substitute, so hopefully we get to hear more. All right. Uh, before we move on to Sam, I want to remind people if you want to reach out to the show, you can find us on Twitter. It is, the, the show is at The Tome Show. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Sam is at DM Samuel. Uh, and and Ish is at Elvin Wizard King. Did I get everybody's Twitter right? Yep. And if you uh, find the Tome Show's Twitter, on, uh, then you can also look at the bio there, and I've got a link to our Discord where we have a, a, a small but worthy sort of community of folks. I actually, I, I think I mentioned before, I really like the size of our Discord. Um, <laughs> it's not so big that it's a lot... You know, uh, but it's big enough that if you have a question or a problem or bring up a news item or whatever, we get some good discussion. So, all right, Sam. Based on how long we have been recording, if we want to stop at an hour, you get eight and a half minutes. Okay, that's actually okay. Um, <laughs> so I don't remember. Like I have not gamed in a while because I got really busy and things happened and and actually my Rime of the Frost Maiden game kind of ended, um, and I think I talked about that on the last episode that I had. Um, we had our final session, but just in case I didn't, I don't want to leave the audience hanging. So so let me talk about. It. I know I posted about it in the in the Tome Show Discord. So um, let me just walk through the audience. So uh, and the reason I say it kind of ended is that we had our final session, but it was a little bit unsatisfying. So I'm going to do like an epilogue session, um, which is what I wanted to talk about today. So so here's so here I'm, I have to read my own notes because it's been a while. OK, um, so so here's the here's the thing. So um, 
the, by the way, this has a huge spoiler. So, you know, if you're playing in this or you're if you're a player in my game, do stop listening right now. And if you're, um, you know, unless we unless we're done by the time you are listening to this. But uh, <laughs> if you want to play in this, like, don't don't listen to this. So so here's what happened. So my PCs uh, get to Yithrin and they I I did talk about last time that they went into the Conjuration Tower and I used uh, Daniel Kwan's um, different I think it's Daniel Kwan yeah I used his different sort of setup for the towers and whatnot because I wanted to give the players a different experience than what was actually in the book there because I felt like I didn't want them to have to go to all eight towers but I wanted them to have a challenging couple of puzzly towers so they did that um, and then they went and they went to the main spire. They, they did the ritual. They went to the main spire. They met Ariel Arthas and they got his staff. And they went down to the obelisk and they were convinced that the way to keep uh, to, to the, the way to um, the, the way to make things the way that they needed it to be, that is to keep Torog, because remember I replaced Asmodeus with Torog in my game, to keep Torog trapped and to also keep Oral's people defeated, because they defeated her, right? That they they needed to um what they wanted to do, what they had the idea to do was to just start up the defense system of Yithrin so that no one could come in and uh and 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 infiltrate it like the the, no, the arcane brotherhood couldn't come in and infiltrate it and then accidentally move it there thereby freeing torog right mm-hmm. but the thing is that they sort of got mixed information and they didn't really think too hard about it and they decided that that the right way to do this was to activate the obelisk um because because of some stuff they were they had been told and and some clues that they that they a little bit misread um and uh, and they weren't catching my hints that I was giving them about time travel. Through the whole session, I was giving them all these hints about time travel and people saying different things about time travel. And then seeing the writing on the obelisk and one of them understanding uh, Loros, the, the Netherese language, and, and realizing that it says something about time travel. They still activated the obelisk. And it took them back. So um, the thing is that uh, so so uh, spoilers at the end of of Rime of the Frost Maiden, if they activate the the obelisk, and these obelisks have been in several different fifth edition products, they have been a mystery for all the whole all the whole time that the edition has been going until Rime of the Frost Maiden, where it's revealed that those obelisks are ancient magical obelisks that were placed there by the Netherese Empire to help reset things if something really bad happened. And of course, something really bad happened. The Netherese Empire is gone. I think there was but, actually a bit of lore that the obelisks were actually originally placed there by like Vecna or something. Um, and then the Netherese sort of I, I, I don't I don't yeah, know j- that j- I don't know that part in Rhyme th- of the Frost Maiden. All yeah, no, I, th- is, I think that's where yeah. I'm getting that lore. Is that that's where in Rhyme there, there's like in a sidebar there's a mention that that I I don't, I don't remember. Know. That I don't know. I'm a, part. I might be I inventing that in my head. I'm, I'm, I didn't go into that. Well, but the thing is, like, it turns out that those obelisks are things that are capable of resetting time to, to send right. everything back in time to put you at a place before whatever the event was so that as a netherese you could fix it and make sure that the bad thing doesn't happen so uh 
the problem is then so my party didn't catch these clues until it was too late and then they had a series of bad rolls because I gave them some chances to sort of stop and not actually do things and these bad rolls made it so that they ended up activating it and um, and it, it was a little bit um, unsatisfying uh, basically um, they, the last third of the book doesn't really have anything to do with the first two thirds, and it left them with only a few options. And basically, in their minds, what the options boil down to is do what the main big bad guy wants, that's Eriolarthus in this case, or walk away and leave Yithrin without actually completing the task that they had promised they would complete. But they would stay alive and they'd stay in their own timeline. A really, that wasn't a, a good choice for them, right? So they, that's part of what led them to I- I ending up, um, you know, and they had discovered Eriol Arthas is really powerful, right? And so they ended up, you know, activating the thing. Um, and it was kind of shocking because they hadn't caught all the clues until after they did it. And then they're like, oh... That's why this NPC said this thing to me, and oh, that's what they meant with that, because they weren't really, they were trying to like rush through and finish it and just just do the thing, and not really thinking about the consequences and the things that were being said to them through that time, and um, yeah, so so it was a little bit, it it, it was kind of unsatisfying for them because at the end they basically, um, you know activated this thing and they find themselves on this flying city in the middle of, you know, basically in the sky and not really knowing like what the heck happened. How are we going to do this? We don't even speak the language. What are we going to do? Like, and that was kind of the end of the session. And that, that was kind of the end of, of the campaign. Um, and it was very unsatisfying the only satisfying thing about it is they actually accomplished both of their goals, which was, Torog is now still trapped because part of the reason why he was being able to get out was that Yithrin crashed. So now it's not crashed. Torog is still trapped. And Oral was already defeated. Oral ha- has no power in this timeline, at least no more than normal. And and all that. So they actually they actually succeeded at their goals, but it's not very satisfying. Um, so I was going to do a uh, – I'm probably going to do um, a little epilogue, kind of one-session epilogue. Because the thing is, I could plan a whole other campaign about how they go you know, in Yithrin uh, and, and try to convince Eriol Arthas, look, we're from the future. We know exactly what's going to happen, and you need to stop doing these things that you're doing right now because we know that you're, this city's going to crash. And if they can convince him of that, then it'll change the timeline – but that's not what they want to do, right? They don't want to do that. They want to find a way to get back to their regular timeline. Um, and so, you know, the thing about uh, the thing about the Netherese Empire is there is a product, uh, the Empire of Magic, second edition product. It's available on Drive Through RPG or DMs Guild. And one of the things it talks about is that there were chronomancers in that time period, in that age of the of of the world, right? And so there's a lot of different types of spells, and there's a lot of different NPCs that are described in that in that box set. And it talks mm-hmm. about how what kind of power level you have to be to to have you know the ability to to cast a, a a spell that deals with time, and how could you open a time gate, and all these sorts of things. So I can easily do some of those things, um, but you know what I'm actually afraid of is that it still won't be satisfying. Right. Right. Like I, I just feel like okay, if I yeah. do one epilogue and I I let them, you know, sort of, you know, sort of go back, <laughs> right? So now now they 
they have to just, just undoing it, washing your hands of it, and saying, eh, "Never mind, we're going to do a retcon." Basically, a storyline where where everything goes back to the way it was also doesn't feel like a, a satisfying conclusion. Right. I'm not going to retcon. Like they made their well, choice. Well, but but I, but, right. I, but you know how like how you know in comic books a character dies and then they don't retcon that the character died, but mm-hmm. they they make it so they didn't actually die or. Uh, you know, they, yeah. they they change things or they change the narrative a little bit or they, they yeah. do something that just completely undoes it so that it never really mattered. Yeah. Um, and that's not satisfying. No. And so basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to have them I'm going to have them. Fi- so the good thing, the, the one good thing about this is Sonar, this pumpkin spice mummy from <laughs> uh, the Lonelywood, you know, Elven mm-hmm. tomb. He was on Yithrin when they went back in time and he was a wizard from Yithrin when like when he was alive. So if they can find him, I think they're going to try to find him. If they can find him and they can convince him, we know what your fate is. We know who you are. And um, the only difference between this timeline and the last timeline in terms of Yithrin, other than it's not crashed, is that when they activate the obelisk, what's inside the obelisk is um, a disguised coaddle or something and um it's disguised like a tabaxi or something like that and the obelisk is gone so that thing says to them thank you for freeing me my job is done i'm out of here and the leaves and the obelisk is gone so they can actually say to sonar look we can prove that we're not from here go look at where the obelisk is it's it's not there anymore and I could have him pretend like he doesn't know what they're talking about, but then go do research and realize, oh, there should be an obelisk on every city, and there is not one now, which means something has happened. So I'm going to be inclined to believe them, so now I can help them get a chronomancer to teach them either how to cast a time gate, or I can cast a time gate for or something right? right and then they can go back and then the question is do they want to go back to five minutes before right they they destroyed the obelisk or do they want to go back to right before it or do they want to go you know just right after it or you know how do they want to mm-hmm. do it and it depending on when they go back it's going to fork the timeline possibly right um but that won't matter to them because to them they'll still feel like they're back in their regular time and at that point, the campaign is over, so who cares? At that point, the campaign is over. I mean, it's, it's one session, right? I could totally do a whole other campaign in right. the Netherese timeline 3,000 years ago, but I'm, I'm not, I don't want to do that, so I'm not going <laughs> to do it. Um, but it's, I, I, I was a little it, – it, it was very sad to have a disappointing ending right. to such a long-term campaign that was otherwise mostly fun. Um, and you know I have a very high opinion of the adventure – at least the first two thirds of it, because mm-hmm. I, you know, I've sat here on this this show itself and argued with Mike Shea for right. you know countless episodes <laughs> about about the merits of this of this particular adventure. And I was, I was wondering if Mike has some sort of uh, uh, bittersweet feelings over the the fact that your campaign ended on a down note. <laughs> so. uh, I, I actually posted in his um in, in his uh he 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 has a you know the rhyme of the frost main channel in his right. Discord, and I posted about. You know, talking about it. Um, I, I don't. I, he's past. He's beyond it now. He doesn't care about rhyme anymore. Um, you know, and, and, and the thing is, like, I. The the problem is really that it. Um, 
it is an interesting outcome, right? Like to go back in time is a very interesting out. And I think if I was still going to continue the campaign, it wouldn't have been as disappointing. It would have been like, oh, right. here's an interesting challenge for us to have to friggin' defeat or figure out or overcome or avoid for the next last third of the campaign. But that's not how it is, right? It's not written like that. It's written as this is the end. Boom. You just went back in time. Ta-da, here you are. And there's really nothing. This literally the last page of the of the story part of the book before the uh, before the, uh, the, the the stat blocks and whatnot. Like that's that's it. And so it's very it's very disappointing. Um, and uh, you know, and part of that, you know, I take I take responsibility for that um, as you know, a DM does, right? I I made certain choices, and I I could have pushed on certain clues they were kind of ignoring. Um, I could have pushed on certain backgrounds that might have realized something, and I and I did a lot of that, but they just weren't getting it, and they weren't communicating well enough to, you know. But the the thing that was more disappointing is that this kind of has it kind of has that sort of switcheroo feeling, just like Tomb of Annihilation has a switcheroo feeling because Tomb of Annihilation starts with uh, the whole hex crawl and the really cool sort of smaller types of situations that are going on and you learn all these really cool things and then then you get you get closer to the to the lost city right and you start finding different things and you get all these clues and it's this very um very interesting sort of you need a different kind of mindset to run that Mm -hmm. and then you get to the end and it's like oh and by the way here's this giant death trap dungeon and those characters that you've been spending this entire first two-thirds of the campaign on aren't really good at the things that need to be good at to do well in that dungeon Right, and it's the same kind of thing here. That by the time you get to Yithrin, if you play Yithrin as a magic-filled, wondrous place that has puzzles and different struggles going on and different weird things going on because of conjurations and protection magic and all these things, the characters that that were in Rime of the Frostmaiden for the first two thirds weren't prepared right. for the stuff in Yithrin. And that's why my that's my PCs, my players didn't catch a lot of the stuff I was throwing at them in Yithrin because that's not how we. Game. Yeah, right. it's it's now, like a different game. In, in their defense, the the Death Trap Dungeon in Tomb plays really well. Yithrin plays really well. I used both of yeah. them. I didn't Absolutely. use them in that campaign. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And I and that's the thing, right? Like I, I'm not I'm not I'm not knocking the adventure mm-hmm. in that way. The parts of it that are cohesive in each of the thirds are well constructed. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just that the connecting material doesn't lead from point A to point B to point C. The connecting material leads to here's this first third and then if the DM worked hard to connect it to the second third, that's what you've got. And that's what I did. And so it was really connected. And then you've got this other third over here. And I worked really hard to connect it in terms of like the lore and the story. But I didn't make like mechanical connections. I didn't. The whole previous right. time, there wasn't. There's not a ton of puzzles. There's not. There's not a ton of magical. Well, things. it sounds like it sounds um, like not just mechanical, but like it's a mindset. It's a. It's as a player. Right. Am I gonna? Am I, gonna, I? I'm not used to the idea that I should be poking every every right. square with a with a ten foot pole because that's not what the story has been up to this point. 
Yeah, and even after, so after we we had a couple of sessions right in Yithrin, um, one of them where they that's where they had the big fight, final fight with with Oral, and then they kind of got to Yithrin. They only had a little bit, and then I had a whole session in Yithrin uh, where it was kind of like at the end of it, I think they were kind of like, "Whoa, what the hell?" Because of that, and we had a long discussion about this. Really, is set up for players and PCs who are going to be poking at every brick to see if there's a trap door and to try to solve puzzles in a way that is not, I'm going to sling a spell at that and that's what's going to open everything. Right. Um, and so then, then when we get, then when we have the next session, the last, the final session, and they still haven't changed their mindset because of course one discussion and then two weeks later, of course they didn't change. I mean, I'm not blaming them. I'm not, you know, they were playing their characters the way that they'd been playing their characters for the whole thing. And, and the problem is that I didn't enforce a change in mindset by telling them, no, your character would be thinking this right now. You need to solve this puzzle, right? You need to think about all. I just kind of sat back and let them talk about it and try to decide what they wanted to do. And I didn't, I wasn't forceful about, making sure they recognized every piece of information that I was giving them. I just let them do, which is what I had been doing the whole, I mean, that's kind of my style, right? Is I'm, I'm going to just give them a profuse, profane amount of information and lore and stuff. And the pieces they pick from it are going to all be useful no matter what. And that's what leads them to the next piece, right? And I make those pieces that they choose to pay attention to the most important pieces, the problem is, for that final session, I did that same thing. And the thing that they chose to focus on was the obelisk. Right. And the obelisk, when you activate it, takes you back in time. And they didn't catch the clues. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, the, the other part of the, of, the, um, of the adventure that's really difficult, uh, and Watsi knew this and realized it, and, and it's part of the reason why Wild Beyond the Witchlight is so sort of light and... Um, almost uh, not nonchalant, but almost like whimsical, right? Wild Beyond the Witchlight's written very whimsically. Yes. There are lighter moments in Rhyme. There are lots of light moments with awakened animals that are not dangerous. They're not mad. They're not angry. They're they're just like puzzling creatures that are now awakened with a higher intelligence. Um, And they're fun to interact with. Um, the walrus that's in um, Oral's abode, like in the basement, he's guarding everything. I had him like skating around like an ice rink and, you know, doing, you know, planting his tusks so that he would spin around and do these fancy, you know, um, you know, like an ice skater, like he's doing these fancy moves, right? He's doing like a double axle, whatever, right? Um, And so there are light moments, but the upbeats in rhyme are so many fewer than... It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot of dark and grim, and and just hang on. It is, and even though I started with that, and I told the players mm-hmm. from the beginning, right, this is a dark, grim. This is dangerous. It's possible some of you will die, even though that's not as common in fifth edition as as maybe maybe in your own experiences, right? And all of that, and we'll have to find the whimsy where we can, we'll have to make it light where we can, but it's very dark, very foreboding, very grim, very dangerous. It's about survival and isolation and a terrible deity that is enforcing a horrible condition on people. There's human sacrifice. There's there's all these horrible things. And even though I warned them from the beginning, none of that was a surprise. But that still was very 
it's a down, it's a downbeat. It's just full of downbeats. And you know, my players that played this campaign, they want to be, you know, one of them is a is a Levistus tiefling who, you know, a lot of them are artists, and the, he he like draws, he drew his character, and he's like got these cute curls, and he's got like a poofy tail, and he's like, you know, they want to be cute, fluffy creatures. They can also kick ass, right? Don't get me wrong. They want to be really, really competent and cast spells and kick butt. And they also want to have fun and be whimsical and be cute and fuzzy and have – they want both, right? And in Rime and the Frostmaiden, there's not a lot of both. There's a lot of dark, grim downbeats and decisions where, okay, you've here's your choice. Do this or do this, right? And they both suck. It's which one do you think is going to lead to the fewer consequences or fewer bad things for everyone, and that's what they pick. Um, and so it's 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 really a it's it's a it's a very harsh, it's it's a harsh environment and a harsh adventure. So if you don't if you're not ready for that, and even if you think you are, that is something that is for a lot. You know, if you could do that for six sessions, right? But we're talking about. 18 months, almost two years, right? Not, not counting breaks, right? You're talking about 18 months of a campaign. That's a long time to have a very isolation-filled, tough, you know, some of the stuff that was happening in this adventure was just like, oh my God, you know, like the, these these people, they, I don't know how, why, how are they still surviving, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the characters aren't heroes, right? Like they're, they're heroes, but they're not heroes, right? The populace isn't looking at them and going, "Oh, thank you for saving us. You're our saviors, and you you protected us, and you did." They're they're like, you know, you're causing trouble for us. You're creating more wrath in Oral, and she's making it hard for us now. So you, you get out of here, you know. Um, which is a re- sort of quote realistic, right? I mean, not that you go for realism in your D and D game, but like the verisimilitude with that particular environmental disaster that is happening and that deific sort of spell casting horrific environment it, it's it's hard it's just hard yes so to have a disappointing ending at the end is kind of eh, you know yeah it ends it, it's downbeats 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 and then ends on a downbeat yeah. Um, and for the record, I went and I found it. The the sidebar on the obelisk explains that they were created by an ancient race of spellcasters called the Weavers. Um, Vecna then stole one and used it to erase the Weavers from existence. And then the Netherese sort of absconded and repurposed the, uh, the remaining ones. Okay, yeah. But by the time the Nethery's empire fell, uh, so many of the obelisks had either been destroyed or stolen that they could no longer reset the whole empire. Okay. That's yeah, a, I mean, so, yeah, I hadn't more. remembered all that. And the no. thing is, like, that sidebar, there's almost no way for the players to learn that, right? And, and, until, now, if they go in the epilogue session and they go to the library in, in Mithrin and they want to hunt for all this, they might find some pieces of that lore, but... Yeah, no, that that sidebar yeah. is a relatively yeah. short sidebar as a nod from Watsi to say, yes, all of you looking for obelisks right. all over all our adventures, <laughs> this is right, the story. Right. <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. And so, yeah, nope. so, you know... Um, so yeah, so I but I'm all, that means I'm also having the same sort of issue where I'm looking at okay, what am I going to run next? Mm-hmm. And uh and I'm I'm not running 5th edition. I'm probably going to run Traveler 
um, which I've been talking about planning that campaign for a while now, and I haven't gotten it together yet just because, you know, life life gets busy. Uh, and I'm probably going to run Castles and Crusades, probably in Greyhawk. And so that's that's kind of what I'm looking at next. Sweet. But yeah. So I look forward to hearing about how that goes. Yeah. All right. We are well past our time. Sam did not successfully stick to nine minutes. I don't know what you were thinking. You kept interrupting me, Jeff. <laughs> I, I was muted most of the time. <laughs> so it's fun it, to blame you. I know. I'll take it. Uh, we're going to go ahead and call that the end of this episode. Thank everybody for listening. And those of you in the chat joining us on Twitch, we stream a lot of these recordings on Twitch. If you follow us on, um, well, if you follow the, the twitch.tv slash the Tome Show, you can follow us there or you can go to Twitter where I always uh, tweet it um, from there as well So as we're getting ready to start. Uh, so that's the end of the episode, I guess. So... Until next month, say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>